Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. There. All right. Luke chapter 2, go ahead and turn. We've spent the last six weeks talking about the Holy Spirit and being a church that longs for the Spirit and hungers for His presence and His power to be witnesses. And we spent time talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and Daniel did an incredible job last week of talking about stewarding the movement of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, But as we enter into Christmas week, it's important that we pause to remember that all we've been talking about these last six weeks, and everything we're going to be doing for the next several weeks, and everything that we do for the next several years, all the years, is all about Jesus. From start to finish, front to back, there's not a single thing we discussed. There's not a single plan that we are making that diverts or sidesteps or moves away from the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, And so today, I really believe that we're meant to just stop and refocus our hearts around the man Jesus. Right? Um, It's easy, if we're honest, to lose sight of what it's all about in a busy season where everything's moving so quick. Can I get an amen? Um, And so one of the works that we have to do as people of God is to learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? This is the writer of Hebrews says, he's the one that authors our faith and he's the one that perfects our faith. And Peter goes on to say, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed. That means that I have a responsibility and there's some work involved in me fixing my eyes and setting my hope on him instead of all the other white noise, Are you with me? And it's not easy all the time. If we're honest, and I'm just, I'm going to do my best to be honest with you this week as I am every week about my own personal struggles in this and learning how to walk this out. I just, I just want to say that it's not always easy, but it is the work. It's what God calls us to, to be people who hunker down on Jesus as the hope of everything. And they live our lives constantly reflecting on him. The older I get, I actually think that the clearer it becomes that cultivating spiritual sight is the work. Like learning how to cultivate eyes that can look for and anticipate and long for the presence of God and the coming of Jesus, that that is the deep work of what it means to belong to him. And so this morning, I just kind of want to lean on that a little bit because that is the, the burning core. That's the central ache in our hearts is longing for the nearness of Jesus and for his justice and mercy in the earth. Um, and so, uh, the church throughout history, because of that, has called this season Advent. Uh, and many of you know that if you're from a, a church that practices Advent, um, this year has been strange with us having series leading all the way up to Christmas, but, uh, that word Advent comes from this Latin word Adventus, and it means coming or arrival. It's a time of year when we pause to remember how Christ came 2000 years ago, uh, in a manger And how he comes into our hearts today. And it also causes us to look ahead to his future coming. Um, I have this favorite movie. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, Arrival. Anybody? Okay. I I constantly try to get people to watch this movie. And I always face pushback. Because it's a little artsy and the timeline is kind of strange. But it's a really beautiful film. And it's about, get this, aliens... Uh, Spoiler alert, coming to earth to help humanity. 
And it's really beautiful. Now, here's the thing about the film, and if aliens were to land, oh Lord, I'm going to get some crazies off of this, I just realized. If aliens were to land in Columbus, Georgia today, you, you would suddenly have a brand new starting point for how you viewed everything, right? Right? Like one time me and my twin brother were watching one of those Discovery Channel shows that has the blurb at the beginning, this is fictional. But we didn't see the blurb that says this is fictional. And me and Evan were kicked back on, our, on the couch and they suddenly revealed that mermaids were real. And this little like pod underwater, this mermaid slapped the window of this, this pod under the water. And my twin brother, who is he is brilliant and compassionate and kind, and he's smart. He leans straight up off the couch, and he goes, everything is different. <laughs> Nothing is the same anymore. Mermaids are real. And then the next commercial break, we saw this is, in fact, fictional. <laughs> and I just looked at Evan and was like, oh, I'm going to tell everyone about this. When something huge happens, you gain this brand new starting point. It's like a new genesis, and everything else is defined on that moment. And 2,000 years ago, human history gained a new starting point. The bleakness of humanity was suddenly filled with hope and grace and restoration. God fulfilled his good promise to his people to come and to dwell with us and to rescue us from our sin. But folks, it wasn't just for folks 2,000 years ago. In the same way that Christ came two millennia ago, God comes to us today in the Holy Spirit, which is why we've spent so much time talking about him. And because both of those realities are true, we can also live with confidence and put our hope in his second coming in the flesh to rule over the nations of the earth. This is what Christmas is all about. And the real question is, are you looking for him? Isn't that it, that we can race into this holiday season, we can uh, blaze into all the traditions and all the celebrations and tables full of food and work parties, all the things, and if we're not looking, we can miss the reason that we're celebrating to begin with. There's this story in Luke chapter 2 that's always impressed me. Uh, it's the story of a man named Simeon who has one goal and he has one purpose, like one thing. He just has this one reason that he's living, and he knows it. And so we're going to read together today from Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Why don't you turn there? If you haven't, we're also going to have it on the screen. Drinking anything out of that little hole is just an embarrassment. Luke 2, 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Listen to that. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, now I can die in peace. Like a couple years ago when Georgia swept everything, there was that sense, you know? Georgia fans were like, ah, finally, I can stand before the Lord in peace. Alabama fans this year, you know, vindicated by the crushing blow. Ah, now at last we have prevailed, right? This is something in our DNA, and it's something that we see here in the story of Simeon. He's the patron saint of just looking. That's what he does. That's who he is. The story tells us that after waiting for the allotted time to be purified after childbirth, for the Jews, they had very specific regulations around this. A woman had to wait eight days for her son to be circumcised, seven days for her daughter, then 33 extra days you would wait around to be purified from childbirth. And then you would go to the temple and you would make sacrifice and you would be cleansed from your ritual uncleanness. And Mary goes to the temple this 41 some odd days later after Jesus is born, taking one month old Jesus with her, and she's making sacrifice for her cleansing. And there's this man who is standing there named Simeon, and his name means the one who hears. And Luke 2 tells us that he has in fact heard. It says that the Holy Spirit had come on him and spoken to him that he would not die. He would not pass to the next life before he saw the Messiah in the flesh. Now, what a word. Can you imagine this morning if the Holy Spirit came on you and said something like that? But that's precisely what happened to Simeon. And in this moment, we see that Simeon has built his life on this word. Now, can you imagine it? That thing that the Holy Spirit instructed to him as his purpose to wait for, to pray for the coming Messiah, to wait for the hope of Israel. And finally, it's come. And in walks Joseph and Mary with baby Jesus. And the one that Simeon had built his life on seeing, he finally sees. And what does he do? He grabs Jesus up out of Mary's arms. That must have been a weird moment. Somebody is really throwing down back there. I thought, you know, the second coming was upon us. (laughs) The trumpet in Zion. (laughs) Sound the alarm. All the Pentecostal kids got real nervous. (laughs) Welcome to church. Okay. It must have been a crazy moment. Simeon scoops Jesus up out of Mary's arms, pulls him in, and suddenly he realizes the hope that he had put his heart on and set his mind on was realized, right? Uh, Years ago, I was um, in Denver, Colorado. I was just on a layover in the airport, and I was coming out of the bathroom, hands still wet from the sink, and Eugene Peterson is walking toward me. And if you don't know who Eugene Peterson is, Eugene Peterson is like a pastor of pastors. He's written a million books. He also happened to author the Message Bible. You know what I mean? He's that guy. And so Eugene Peterson is walking toward me, and without thinking, hands still wet, I open my arms for an embrace. Mr. Peterson, I said. (laughs) Just like that, right out of the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like when you're going into the bathroom, you're not expecting that. Just hands dripping straight in for a hug. (laughs) And he was startled. I scared the Bible writer. He he leaned back and he was like, I'm sorry, how do you know me? (laughs) And I didn't know, like he had started to have dementia in the season of his life. So I probably really scared him. Um, But I was like, 
I just stopped and I said, hey, I just want to tell you, you are incredible, man. Thank you so much for your investment. But I went straight in for a hug, like a weirdo. <laughs> Simeon goes straight in, and he scoops baby Jesus up, and he says, this is what I've been waiting for. I'm ready, God. Take me home. Now, now here's what I hope that you can grab a hold of with this simple story. The Simeon didn't stumble upon Jesus by chance. It wasn't Simeon coming out of the bathroom to see Jesus walking in. Uh, it, it wasn't a coincidence. He saw Jesus because he was looking for Jesus. He saw the Messiah because his eyes and his heart were set on the Messiah. Verse 27 says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. His longing to see Jesus took him where he would not have gone otherwise. His longing to see Jesus caused him to yield to the voice of the Holy Spirit. His search for the Messiah changed his decisions and how he used his time and energy and money. Everything was aimed at one thing, one person. It was, how do I see him? He was looking and he found him. And my question to us this morning is, are your eyes open? Are you looking for Jesus? This is an important question because often we miss him even when he's right in front of us. There's something about looking for something or someone with anticipation that actually prepares us to see him. Uh, there's actually a scientific phenomenon about this. I don't know if you know it. Uh, it's called the, uh, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon or frequency illusion. Anybody ever heard of that? It's this idea that once uh, you have noticed something or once something occurs or you've recently learned something, suddenly it starts to appear everywhere, right? This happens to us a lot. You can be like, hey, I really want a red car. And today, if you just get that in your head, red car, you're going to go out and you're going to see more red cars than you've seen in months. There's a red car everywhere. I've never even seen this many red cars. And it's not logically that there are more red cars, right? So what's happened? You're just aware of the thing that always was that you never recognized before, right? I have these numbers that I see all the time. I see 11-11 all the time or 1-1-1. And for some of us, we go, it's a sign of the Lord. These things never existed. Well, they come up on my clock four times a day. <laughs> every, every single day. Did God invent them in a brand new way and plunk them down where they shouldn't? No, I just have developed an awareness where it's like I'm magnetically drawn to see something that was right in front of me the whole time hidden. There is something about us looking and searching and having eyes wide open that suddenly I am prepared to discover the very thing that I've been waiting for. And so, sometimes we actually have to remind ourselves to focus and to open our eyes to see him as he is. It's a growing awareness of what was there all along that causes us to suddenly see what we could not before. Are your eyes open to see Jesus? Perhaps God has been at work all along and your eyes are opening to him for the very first time. You know, like how many times did Moses walk by the bush before one day he goes, oh, that thing's on fire. You know? Years ago, I was on a, um, a retreat, a week retreat, and I went up to the mountains. I was by myself, um, and it was great. It was me and one mouse. Um, we lived together for a day and a half, and then I sent him to the Lord. Uh, and <laughs> he, was, he was eating my food, Jen, and so I had to take him out. Um, 
And one day I'm walking, I'm walking down this path, and I'm kind of a naturalist. If I get quiet and still there, I'm the kind of weirdo that will just stop and look at all the flowers. It's not weird. It's incredible. I will stare at every flower and tree. I will smell them. I will think of ways to describe them. I will touch them. I mean, I'm the, okay, I'm there fully. And I'm standing there, and there are all these ferns popping up around me and this high, knee-high grass on the side of the road. And I'm just standing there looking out, Rich. I'm looking at this stream that's about 10 yards away. And about three feet from me, this fawn bursts out of the grass and startles me. But it was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, this baby fawn with a speckled white back, you know. And I sat there and thought about that. Like, how long had that fawn been sitting there? And I'm standing there for 10 minutes or so looking at this stream, and suddenly this thing burst out. And so what, what do I do the rest of the trip? I'm looking for fawns. Every knee-high grass has a deer that's hiding out, spawning in front of me, you know? It was like a, a weird halo moment. This animal just created itself into thin air in front of me. It was magical. Sometimes the things that we're not aware of, they seem hidden to the naked eye. Suddenly they became so present and my eyes are fixated on looking for them. And I just wonder, are our eyes and our hearts fixated on the God who loves to show himself? On the Christ who comes in ways that we don't anticipate, the ways that we don't even fully understand. And if we have eyes that are ready to see him, we will in fact find him. What if we are waiting for God to show up in such a way that we actually miss his arrival? What if we're so busy looking for and expecting something else that we miss what he is actually doing? Where he actually is at work. How he's manifesting his presence and his glory in the circumstance you are in, not in the one you want to be in. Right? So as we pause to look back, we remember that 2,000 years ago, that was the story. That is the Christmas story that we find ourselves in. Israel is under Rome's boot. They're oppressed and afflicted and looking for hope. They're under enemy occupation. And they're looking for someone to come and lift the burden. And the people look to Isaiah chapter 9. And the word says, as in the day of Midian's defeat, so will it be when God sends this Savior For to us a child is born and a son is given. What are they anticipating? A conquering king. They're anticipating God to come with wrath and fury and crush their enemies. But Jesus doesn't come the way they expect. He wasn't born in a palace. He came in rags and in humility. He wasn't born to a chic and stylish queen. He was born to a nervous teenager who had favor on her life. He didn't descend from the sky as an armored king of light. He came fragile and naked and needy. He was the savior of the world in afterbirth. Like what a way for the king of glory to come into the world. John 1.10 tells us that though the world was made through him, that the world did not recognize him. He came to the very thing that was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Why? Because too often our eyes aren't looking for him. We are looking for what we expect from him. In the words of artist, um, artist Audrey Assad, you could have come like a mighty storm with all the strength of a hurricane. You could have come like a forest fire with the power of heaven in your flame, but you came like a winter snow, quiet and soft 
and slow, falling from the sky in the night to the earth below. This is how he came. And Jesus didn't just arrive that way, he actually lived that way. He didn't live to satisfy himself or to sidestep pain. He didn't live in luxury. It's not like a pauper to prince story where he moves into the palace before he leaves. No, he lives his entire life on the move, homeless, waiting for the next meal. He came to serve us and lay down his life for us. And so what we celebrate this coming week is not just a baby in a manger. I I hope we can get this as a church. It's not just a baby in a manger. It is God in flesh who came as one of us to die for us. This is the Christmas story. It's Emmanuel, God with us, who comes with purpose and mission and intention. It's not just God with them. He's God with us. Not just God 2,000 years ago who takes this shape, but the God who comes to us today, who comes to you today. You know, I took some vacation time this week, and um, over the past several years, if I'm just being honest with you, when I come to the holidays uh, and I start to slow down or try to, I'm just pumping the brake, you know, I'm the driver, you know, who's going 120 and like slamming the brakes at the last minute. That's what me coming into the holidays looks like. Um... And I've noticed over the past several years, as I get into the holidays, that I have to work a lot against anxiety and restlessness. Anybody else? Like, like I'm just, you're going 100 miles an hour, and you get to this point of the season where you know, theoretically, I'm supposed to stop, and I'm supposed to reflect, and I'm supposed to celebrate, and all the things that are happening in my heart and my mind are triggering the next thing that we got to get done. And I hit that every single year, the last three years, and I've even had to like work through, God, I'm not going to lean into depression. I feel anxious. I feel a little overwhelmed. Now, I could just write that off as it just being me, right? Or I could take it on the chin and just say, that's my wiring. This is who I am. This is my truth, which is trash. Or, or I can open my heart to the Lord to see how he wants to come into that mess with me. It's one thing for us to celebrate that God came to Israel 2,000 years ago as a symbol of hope. It's quite another when I realize that God, Emmanuel, who is with us, comes into my mess with me right now. Are you with me? Not just a baby in a manger. God with me. In me and with me. Leading me, teaching me what it is to move into wholeness and away from despair. Teaching me what it is to move into restoration and out of restlessness. And perhaps some of you are in the same place today, like Jesus in a manger, that's safe. But God stepping into your mess right now, that's an altogether different thing. And that is also the Christmas story. It's not just that God came once upon a time for people in need, but that he comes to us today as we are in this moment because he is God with you. He is God with you. And so can I invite us into the real work of inviting the Lord into our lives as we actually are? Not the polished up version we like to give people, right? Not the Christmas card version, plaid pajamas and all, but the real thing. What if perhaps we invited God into the real mess of our lives and said, God, you can enter into even this? I think there's something dramatic about the fact that the depiction of where God shows up is in a mess. He doesn't show up in a clean, tidy space. 
he gets into a manger, right? There's something about that that's got to minister to our hearts, that God's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of the place that you are in. What he wants is an open heart and open eyes to see him and to receive him. Because God knows what to do with my mess way better than I do. Christmas is not just a reminder of how God was with them in the past, but of how he is with us today by his spirit, if we'll receive him. So is your heart ready to receive him? You know, this week we've got um, a crazy week. I'm talking about resting and slowing down. We got like two or three big things at our house. We got two parties. The staff's coming over on Monday night. We're having a staff Christmas party. And then our community leaders uh, will be coming over on Thursday night, I think. <laughs> I don't know. A night this week. And how many of you know when you got people coming to your house, you shift into overdrive, right? And there's always like one spouse that's insane about having the house clean, and then the other one doesn't even know that anything's happening. I'm the, I'm the insane one, okay, in my house. And so, and my kids know, they're just like, we've got a thing tonight, dad's going to be insane. And so I'm like, we got to scrub every nook, they're going to look everywhere. No, I don't go there, but I, I will be vacuuming, we're going to be dusting, we'll clean the bath, we'll do all the stuff, right, because people are coming. So I know what it is to make my home ready to receive people. Do you know what it is to make your heart ready to receive Jesus? What needs to be straightened up? What needs to be reorganized? Where is there clutter that you would never leave out for people, but in your interior life you have left it in the way of King Jesus? And he wants to come in. Like One of my favorite carols of the year is Joy to the Lord. You guys like that one? I love it. I almost felt like we should just make everybody sing it right now. Um, but the first lines are the things that really stand out to me. Uh, it says, uh, I'm debating on whether to sing it or to say it. Um, oh, Lord. I should never have said that out loud. <laughs> um, no, I'm regretting it. I think I'm just going to say it. <laughs> okay. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. See, you got to jump in. Okay, we can stop. Let, let every heart, let every heart prepare Him room. Let every heart prepare him room. How do we prepare room for the king? Was it, was it just in a building space 2,000 years ago? Was it a manger? Or is it, in fact, every one of our hearts that becomes this resting place for the king of glory to come in? I, I think it starts for us with removing what's keeping him out. What's keeping the king out? I can look at many of you, and I know... Uh, particularly those of you who are wired like me, I can predict perhaps what's keeping him out. For me personally, there's this discipline to fighting off distraction. Because when I face a whole lot, when I'm juggling a bunch, the thing that I love the most is distraction. I, man, I love me a good distraction. Give me something to do out there so that I don't have to think about all the things in here. The, the fears or the people pleasing or the whatever. Are you with me? 
And, and in that place, we have to identify, like, what is the stuff that is keeping the Lord from entering in? Imagine that your life is a house, and in your doorway, you have stacked things. There are distractions, and there are fears, and there's anger, and there's unforgiveness, and there's concern about finances and your kids. And somehow, when the Lord knocks on the door and opens it wide, we have to be ready to clear what's keeping him from entering in. We've got to know what's sitting right there. And so for me, it's always been those kinds of things, distractions and busyness. But the thing is, whenever I get still and whether, whenever I clear space in my schedule and open my heart, God always fills it. Every time. I've never had a moment where I say, God, I really want to be with you. And him not fill that space. Never. Not once. Because when I intentionally set something apart to him, he delights to fill it. How about you? Have you prepared him room? Have you prepared your heart to make a space for him to come and enter in? Listen to this prayer from Sarah Martin. This is from um, Awe and Wonder of Advent. Father, just as, you sent Jesus, just as you sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, help me to clear the path in my heart too. Show me the distractions that block me from worshiping you this Advent. Lord, I await your coming. As I celebrate the first Advent, the first coming, I look forward to the day when I will see you face to face. And I imagine what it'll be like. Give me a heart, Lord, that looks for your coming on a daily basis. Help me to live my life where I'm constantly seeking your presence. My offering to you today is my righteous life. For I know I am only clean because of Jesus. Show me how I must be refined, purified, and forgiven today. And give me the strength to ask forgiveness and to change my ways. Listen to that. Help us to clear the path in our hearts too. So is your heart clear for the Lord to enter in? And finally, do we long for his coming? As we enter into Christmas, this often is the last thought in my head. I was kind of convicted preparing for this because I realized that when it comes to Christmas, I am really good at looking back with gratitude. And I'm even good at this intention to slow down and to let him enter in. But are my eyes being drawn upward to look forward to his coming? Do I long for that above all things? Friends, the church has always lived with an urgent anticipation of Christ's return. I mentioned it earlier, you know, with the trumpet in Zion, but as a Pentecostal kid, like you knew you were Pentecostal because you were pretty sure that you got left behind at least once, right? And if you haven't had that experience, you're not Pentecostal. I'm sorry. And the second one is you're pretty sure that you were the Antichrist at one point or another. I was deeply convinced multiple times. I think I've been chosen for the wrong role in the story. <laughs> Some of you are like, this is so weird. <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm just telling you my thought process growing up. I, was, I woke up from a nap one day, and my mom had crossed the street to talk to the neighbor, and nobody else was there. And I was, I was like, I, I did it. I, I committed the unpardonable sin. The Lord has left me behind. He took Evan? He took Brent? No way. No way he took Brent and Evan. No, nah, he couldn't have come, you know. <laughs> 
No, but genuinely, like we, the church is actually built on this anticipation, urgency. When you read the language after Jesus ascends, they're all going, you better be ready. Get ready. Keep your oil lamps full. Watch out for the bridegroom who's coming. Be ready. Servants in the house, make sure you're doing your due diligence and feeding the servants in the house. Be ready. Do you live like that? I have to confess, there are times where I don't have my eyes set like that. I'm so busy even opening my heart to like, Lord, what are you doing here and now? How do I enjoy the things of the Spirit? And I forget that our our pivotal point, the thing that we are anchoring all of our hopes in, are on his future return. He has come and he will come again. We live in the great in-between of trusting that what has happened in the past is this anchor for my life. And you go, Grant, what does this have to do with me? Everything. Everything. Because if I am living simply for the past and what the Spirit is doing in the present, but I don't have my eyes set on his future coming, I will constantly set up camp in enemy territory and think it's the whole story. I will put my hope in junk that's going to fade away. I will look for joy for 80 years and forget about eternity. Are you with me? It is a completely different perspective for us. And I just confess that there are times when I live even so consumed with the idea of God moving in the present that I don't look forward in the future with hope and anticipation. That is our great hope, that Christ will return for his bride, that we will receive the full measure of adoption to sonship. Like we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul says the Holy Spirit is a deposit that guarantees the inheritance to come. Think about that. Like I've seen people's bodies healed in front of my face because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a deposit. It's only a deposit of what happens in God's presence. I have felt joy in the presence of God because of the Holy Spirit. It consumes me during worship. I feel like I'm filled with love just dumping out of me. Deposit. That is a down payment. It is fractional compared to what I'm going to experience in His presence. You were made for His presence. You were made to be in the presence of Jesus. You were made to be fully like Him. And it only comes in His presence. This is everything for us. In fact, Revelation ends with a promise and a plea for Christ to come. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 13, Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And verse 17 says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Come and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Everything that we are, everything that we believe, it is not just about the cross 2,000 years ago and it's not just about the movement of the Spirit today. It is about the future coming King. And it is about us positioning our hearts, setting our eyes on the horizon and saying, come Lord, come. The stuff in our city. It's not just so that we will pray and hopefully it'll get better and we can just stick it out here in this outpost. God is going to come and he's going to bring his home to us and take us to his home to be with him. Are you with me? And this is something that means we have to set our hope. And if we're honest, for many of us, we live with a practical kind of atheism that does not look to his coming at all. 
You know, I fear we don't talk enough about it. And here's why. Let's just be real. Let's be honest. Many of us can't imagine anything better than the temporary joys of this life. I just can't fathom it. You know, C.S. Lewis has this brilliant quote. He says, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world satisfies, then the only conclusion I can reach is that I was not made for here. If I'm constantly longing, I can fill myself up with all the pleasures, all the joys, all the satisfactions, the best job, the best spouse, the best vehicles. I can do all of it and still feel this emptiness. The only conclusion I am left with is that I was created for something and someone more. And many of us have been there. We have pursued the thing that we thought would scratch the itch and satisfy us completely. And we got there and it was worse still. Folks, if we're followers of Jesus, our Christmas tradition doesn't end in a manger or on a cross or even in spirit baptism but in the return of the king. It is about us looking forward, trusting all that God has entrusted to us. But we have to understand that we have so much more that has been promised in the future, right? Here's what happens. If we set our hopes and our joys on what we can gain now, we end up spending all of our time and money and energy trying to fill up on what is going to satisfy us in these 80 years. 90 years. If you're 70, we'll, we'll, we'll bump into 90. Yeah. Dad, I'll give you 10 more years, Dad. Um, are you with me? And can, can I be honest? I actually think that this is so important that we miss it. That we actually have this kind of um, humanism that has crept into our hearts in the West, in the church, that we're trying to drink in experiences and all the good stuff because we actually have set our hope on this life. We think it's all about here. And God is saying, lift your eyes. You'll live different. You'll make different decisions about your time and money and energy and your money. Are you with me? Like you'll take care of other people and you'll, like we're in the season where this becomes tangible and possible. Is this about us just consuming and getting more? Or has God called us to be stewards of the temporary living in view of eternity? To sow all that we have in view of God's coming. Because when I see his face, I want him to look and say, I'm proud. Yeah. Well done. You kept your eyes up. You, di you didn't stay so focused on trying to build your own little empire here and hope that these 80 years would scratch out some joyful existence. You set your hope on the joy that is eternal. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Are you living for eternity? Um. You know, the gospel holds out for us something that's way better. And Christmas ought to be that. It ought to engage in us this sense that God will come back and restore all things. That the hope that came to Israel 2,000 years ago lives in us by the Spirit. And he will come to command all things to be made new. And his righteousness and justice will rule the nations. This is our longing. This is our cry. And so if you're here this morning and you find yourselves in moments like me, with my eyes down, making plans about my life and my future, and forgetting that he has called me to live for his glory and to call him with the Spirit of God to say, come, Lord Jesus. If you have, can I just encourage you today to fix your eyes and to build your life on Jesus' coming? Yes. Hear me. Fix your eyes. 
If you're not thinking about his coming, you're looking in the wrong place. And if you're building your life on anything but the eternal gift that comes when he returns, you are missing it. Don't build your life on things that are going to fade. Fix them on Jesus. Because as good as they can be, they're just a shadow of what you've been made for. And this is the Christmas story. This is what we celebrate. This is why on a Sunday morning we scream like maniacs. It's because God has filled us with joy and promises so much better than anything we can hope or imagine. Isn't that the refrain of Paul in Ephesians? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work in you, be praise and glory and honor forever. And so like modern Simeons, we are to train our eyes to look for Jesus so that we will be ready when he comes. Will you stand? Hmm. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? I know uh, without a doubt that many of you have been in full sprint this season and you're just trying to get to the holidays and hope that you can get enough rest to feel refreshed. And right now, we just want to position our hearts and still our minds on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame. Then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he says, I am coming soon. But you set your hope right now. Just fix your hope. Maybe you haven't stopped long enough for Jesus to even move in. And the Lord is saying, will you prepare room for me in your heart? The Lord Jesus, we prepare room right now. Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that came on Simeon, that instructed him where to go to find Jesus, I thank you. That John 14 says that uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything that I've said. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you that right now you are teaching us to look for Jesus. You're teaching us where we can find the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we speak to those places of anxiety in the room. Lord, those who maybe struggle in the same ways that I have struggled. Father, we, we just lift our hands to you and we release uh, control. We actually break alignment with that, that we're just um, anxious people. If you've been using that phrase, my anxiety, we just crush that. Yeah. Anxiety is not our pet. It's a tiger that's eating people. And so, Father, we, we agree together, Lord, that the, that power of anxiety is broken. Lord, it's not that we don't experience things, but we know how to get to you when we feel them. So we can experience stuff and we can get to you and live in your triumph over them. But Father, we thank you that you come and you rest on the throne of our hearts right now. Lord, we slow down in the place where we have enthroned distraction. We've worshipped distraction. Father, I pray that right now, for every single one of us, maybe you just make the decision, I'm dethroning distraction and I'm going to make space for the King of Kings. He can come and enter in. And right now, if you just imagine that the Lord is entering into your house, you know, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens a door and lets me in, I will come in, and the Father and I, we will eat with him. 
the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, but there's some things stacked in the doorway, and the Holy Spirit actually wants to give you um, strength to recognize those things even now and to confess those and release those to Him. For some of you, you're carrying unforgiveness in your heart. You're coming into the season, and the Lord is saying, I want that. Will you release that? Grant, how do you release it? You forgive. Father, right now, we release those who have harmed us and sinned against us. Lord, we don't negate it. It was wrong. It was messed up. It was painful. But Father, you forgave me while I was still a sinner. And so I willfully choose to release that person who has harmed me. I thank you, Lord, in the place of that payback. God, I just give blessing. Would you bless them? Lord, would you shower blessing over my brother or sister, the person who harmed me. Father, I pray that you would bless them, that you would care for them, that they would feel your nearness and your presence. Lord, that you would give them the very best stuff. Father, release them. And Lord, for those of us in the room, God, who just feel restless, we can't move, we can't sit still to even focus on your presence because of that running task list. Father, we just still ourselves right now and we invite you to come in and to fill those spaces. Lord, I pray that you would give us an awareness of you. That we would look for you everywhere. Lord, we take off anxiety and complaint. We put on gratitude and generosity. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we are your people. Father, you have done nothing but good to us. Nothing. Lord, you don't owe us anything. Nobody owes us anything. Father, you have given us everything. We receive you, Jesus. Why don't you just ask him, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill my heart? We thank you that you teach us. You lead us to Jesus. Father, I pray that as a church that we would echo the words of the Spirit and the Bride. That we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come. Where our hearts aren't longing for you, would you cause us to awaken? Father, would you come? Would you make all things right, Lord? Once again, we thank you for the hope that we have, Lord. Father, we confess that we've been quick to set up our own little empires. And Father, that you're causing our eyes to lift upward. So Father, would you teach us to live for your kingdom and against our own little empires? Would you teach us, Father, to set up these outposts of heaven everywhere we go, that people might see you and know you? We adore you, Jesus. We adore you, Jesus. And we love you. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Would you just open your hands? I just want to pray that Aaron's benediction over you. Mm. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance to you and give you peace. My prayer is that every place you step, that you feel the presence and the power of God. And that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the God who came for Israel 2,000 years ago comes for you today and will come in the future, robed in glory, arrayed in majesty, surrounded by angels, and he will judge the nations. You have been called to be a kingdom and priest according to his name. And you're not alone because he is always with you.
Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Bless you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.